Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So somehow we have gotten to the halfway point of 2017, and what a year it's been, but we've made it this far, and we thought it would be a good time to talk about the best albums of the year so far, and there's been a lot of great music, and to talk about that, I have Brittany Spanos here from Rolling Stone, Will Hermes, and John Dolan. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Hey, Brian. So let's talk about this year's music. Are the best albums of this year speaking to the sort of political and historical moment we're in, or are they speaking to it by jumping into escapism? What, what do you guys think? I'm definitely on the side of escapism. Yeah, that's I, what think I think the best albums, at least for me, my favorite albums have been the more escapist pop albums, and my favorite um, singles have really been the escapist pop singles, and even with the hip hop singles and rap and rock, all of it sort of has steered clear of the more political side for like the better albums of the year and it's really interesting how that's really spoken to i think that's what the what people want right now is for their music to reflect this more escapism this you know way of exiting reality right i think that's really shined this year so when they turn off the news they don't want to turn on music that's basically the news reflected back at them right now yeah and also just like like half-baked attempts at trying to address it because I think (laughs) pop stars can't really speak to the real fear that a lot of people are having right now about this political moment and I think that's what they want from their pop music is for it to reflect outside of that. Mm. I think certain artists are trying to tackle it, but maybe mm-hmm. they're tackling it in a way like Jason Isbell mm-hmm. is a you know not a big pop songwriter, but he made a really really great record where he's talking you know kind of just about like being exhausted and you know even kind of taking exception to his own you know like you know white rock dude privilege, um, but it's a smart really good songwriting in a kind of country rock vein and um, and Roger Waters of course the ex. Uh, Pink Floyd, uh, master of the morose. Mr. Escapism, Mr. Fun, Roger Waters. <laughs> yes. What do you think, John? I feel like after last year, where I felt like a lot of albums were addressing the sense of chaos and sense of kind of urgency of the moment, when the moment actually hits and you're stuck with malaise and fear and paranoia, you're right. It, it's a. Uh, I feel like there's a sense of kind of just exhaustion and people wanting to turn maybe towards something else. Though, um, like you say, like another record, Hooray for the Riff Raff, which is on our list, is, you know, dealing with, with the sort of issues of, you know, dealing with kind of music, musical border crossing, but also sort of the problems of immigration and sort of, you know, these kind of, these kind of things. So I feel like right. there's records that are doing it, but you're right. I think the biggest records, I mean, last year we had Beyonce, who seemed to be just like channeling into how the moment felt in, in, in so many different ways. This year, that record has not come out yet. Right. Neither Noel's sister has yet weighed in, and, and we're, we feel their absence. I mean, I will say that both the Kendrick Lamar and the Father John Misty albums, in their ways, address the times for me. I, I feel like Father John Misty, and he is a figure of much controversy, obviously. He is he has a certain almost arrogance. And, wordiness. And, yeah, wordiness. and wordiness. And, and it's a combination of these incredibly arch and I would say brilliant lyrics combined with a very mellow folk rock and it's quite a jarring combination but Father John Misty in his sense of the dark absurdity of human existence quite frankly has made an album for the Trump era and I think Kendrick who wants to talk about the Kendrick album and where that kind of leaves us I I think both those records these guys are looking more inside 
than outside? I mean, is that a fair guess? I mean, certainly Kendrick's album, as opposed to the last one, um, mm-hmm. is a little bit more interior. Um, the Father John Misty record, really, uh, I love it. I mean, I, I think he's... It, it's kind of scary because it's you're kind of listening to somebody kind of lose their lose their mind in a way, like at the sort of enormity of um, his existential malaise. Are you a fan of Father John Misty or do you hate him? How do you feel, Brittany? I am. I mean, the album wasn't really a standout for me this year, and I feel like maybe it is my own, you know, desire to go for the more escapist pop moments. Um, but that album. I enjoyed it. I like Father John Mistia. He hasn't always been an artist that I've like been super wowed by, but it was enjoyable. Yeah, it's weird. This was the thing I liked most by him. Actually, I didn't mm-hmm. like the last one. How- I actually really liked the the last one. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we can we can arm wrestle over that. Later. <laughs> so, so let's let's hear Total Entertainment Forever from from Father John Mistia briefly. Bedding Taylor Swift every night inside the Oculus Rift after Mr. and the Mrs. Finished Father John Misty is actually singing about escapism rather than embodying it. And it's interesting, I think Arcade Fire, whose record we haven't heard yet, but we're starting to dribble out, is clearly going to be hitting some of the same points, and we'll see how well they address it. How about Kendrick? What do, what do you think of, of this particular album, Bernie? I really loved it. Um, I think that like Will said, it was it definitely felt a lot more introspective, though I do feel To Pimp a Butterfly was a really good look at the self in the context of everything happening around you, but I think this album did feel like he was kind of dealing with a lot more of the internal battles with these things as opposed to looking outside even more. Um, and I think Humble, I'm such yeah. a perfect song for this year, and I think he had really great guest spots with Rihanna and you too. I really love those songs, but yeah. It's a great album. People who have that powerful, irrational hatred for U2 and Bono. It's my favorite song in the album. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, 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 when that song came out, like no, no one could come up with a Bono diss involving it. <laughs> Although it's really funny. I believe he's credited as U2, yeah. which is really, which, which is actually exactly like crediting Quavo as Migos, which was <laughs> happening in, 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 some, in some places. Can we hear Humble? Remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances But this a nigga with some counterfeits But now I'm counting this Parmesan with my accountant lives In fact I'm down in this You say with my boobay Tastes like Kool-Aid for the analyst it's funny. It, this has happened before when we played Kendrick on the show. Uh, we we can only play a certain amount, but I never want to like stop it. I want to hear the whole song. I, the thing with Kendrick, and I think uh, John was saying this. It's it's just a reminder again of just what a fantastic rapper Kendrick Lamar is mm-hmm. you know especially in a time of course when lyrical skills aren't the most valued trait in hip hop as certainly to the extent they once were it's just you know it's, it's a reminder of just pure technical brilliance and also his melodic brilliance mm-hmm. um, so and it, but we did mention Migos um, I love uh, Migos's album Culture uh, and, and the funny thing about Migos is for a while they were taking the kind of heat that to a lesser extent that someone like Lil Yachty was taking a few years ago where it's like, oh, they aren't real rappers or something. And now you listen to culture, they're like, oh, wait, they're like, you know, they're right, like, they're heralding they're, anyway. They're, yeah. Right. They're like Biggie times Tupac compared to Yachty. Like, like they're, yeah. they're actually, you know, they're, I, don't, I don't really see the problem there. And, and it's just, it's a, it's a rap album as a pop album. It's, it's, it's so infectious. It's all about the energy. Uh, John was saying that like, he, he's not a big fan of the lyrics, but doesn't really care. <laughs> well, lyrically it's like anti-content almost, but like <laughs> sonically, which forces you kind of to focus on how sonically it is like so inventive like their sort of cadences these triplets these kind of 
you know, patterns they have and the slang and the sort of just like word clusters or sort of sound clusters they make <laughs> when it's like the content is, you know, you know, exactly. It's like we sell a lot of drugs. We this is our life, you know, and uh, but it's 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 extremely uh, listenable music, uh, even though it's like, I guess, like pure yeah, hip hop kind of lyricism. It's doesn't really add up to much. I mean, we were saying it's a little bit like trap refrigerator poetry, you know, yeah, exactly. just, just, you know but but just with a very different set of words. You, you could get say that about a lot. Yeah. Of, yeah. So, yeah. Brittany, you were going to say something about the cult travel. Migos is my favorite boy band. I think yeah. they're just like... They so, are a boy band. They have they? such great synchronicity with each other, especially even you watch like interviews with them, you watch them on stage, like they work so well together and they're really, they're not afraid of pop as a hip hop group, which I think is really important to what we're going to see from them in the future mm. because they are not afraid to be everywhere and also embrace the pop side of what rap and hip hop can be right in this moment. And culture is, it's really catchy. The lyrics again, not great. Uh, <laughs> But it really, it's it's in your head. But there's also something like meme-y, of course, yeah. about like, you know, drop top. Obviously, like that little word cluster, there's just something that they're so good at coming up with. A big on big and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah they have these little phrases. It's, that, yeah. it's really about the delivery, too, because I yeah. don't think anyone else can really make something like that as memeable as Migos can. And I think Migos and Ray Shumard are really good at hitting sort of a meme delivery of just strange lines let's hear obviously bad and bougie raindrops drop top drop top smoking no cooking the hot box cooking fucking on your bitch yeah that 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 cooking up dope in the crock pot pot we came from nothing to something nigga i don't try nobody to the trick nobody call up the gang and they so yeah i mean my god how many times have we heard that <laughs> this year and i'm still not it sick still of it sounds so great. that's yeah that's what a great boy band does <laughs> <laughs> they make pop songs that you just cannot get enough of <laughs> Um, so, so Migos. I mean, the other thing is uh, this gets outside the realm of albums, but Quavo. I've been meaning to talk about this for a long time. Quavo is on every single song released this year. Every out, it's unbelievable mm-hmm. how much Quavo there is. And, and last night was the first time I went back and listened to Culture since the full ubiquity of Quavo hit. And I was wondering whether that would make it somehow wearying. You know what I mean? Like that it's already over. It doesn't seem to matter. But mm-hmm. I do think <laughs> when we look back at 2017, we'll, we'll be like, this was the year that. Quavo was just like I mean he's on the Machine Gun Kelly album he's on the Katy Perry album like I was half expecting him to show up like at the Comey hearing you know like Comey (laughs) hearing featuring Quavo it's it's (laughs) it's it's unbelievable it's a level of ubiquity I I think we haven't seen for a long time and I think we'll see whether that's a good strategy or not is it possible it's a bad strategy well it's really the Nicki Minaj strategy of being a rapper because it's really releasing your own music and making sure that that's never lost because no one stopped talking about Baton Bougie but really trying to be on everyone's song like they don't <laughs> limit themselves to a certain sect of rap music or a certain sect of pop music like they are on everything and they're really strategic with it too like they found really good songs to appear on like DJ Khaled plus Katy Perry plus you know moving along Drake so John I think you're the maybe the biggest I fan quite, of this I album really as like a whole I like this Drake record a lot yeah. um, and it's mainly because it's not so much about Drake's world and his emotional life or whatever it is, but it's about his musical taste and the kind of generosity of that taste. He's really good at connecting things. I mean, he called it a playlist, I think, and that seems like a non-phrase or whatever, but like, it seems, it really <laughs> does seem to have meaning. It's, it's It collects things he likes, artists he likes, sounds he likes, and puts them together and the sort of, like, it limits the Drakeness of it is kind of downplayed and the otherworldliness of it is is played up and it's a very listenable just it's a listenable Drake record. It's my favorite one to put on, I guess, right now. 
It's funny, one of the things I think that makes Drake a really great artist is there's different Drakes to be fans of, mm -hmm. and I like hard Drake. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like sort of the um, like the energy Drake. I like him when he's with the future. I like that side of him. And there there is, I mean, for example, Free Smoke, which the album starts out with, is, is a good example of hard Drake that I, I, I just love. Let's hear Free Smoke a little bit. I saw people doing things, almost gave up on the music thing, but we all so spoiled now. More life, more everything. Must have never had your yeah, hard Drake, man. Um, what's your what? what's your favorite Drake, Brendan? I love Pop Drake. Yeah, Passion Fruit is yeah, right, exactly. such a standout song. It's a song that I never ever get sick of, um, and I think it's going to be song of the summer. And even though it came out a while ago, I still you can't go really anywhere without hearing it. Now I hear it out of cars. I hear it just on the street. It's everywhere. Yeah, John was also, you, you love Pop Drake too, right? You well, love Trap House. I like Drake. the Trap House yeah. Drake. It's like when spring came, I opened up the window and played this record. And I, I mean, he's a really, really good singer. And like a good, and that's when he puts the emphasis on his musicality, I kind of tend to like him. I like Hard Drake too, but I like this Drake a little bit. In, in general, you you like you like trap house, which some people hate as a phrase. I I understand it. Well, I like the a, just you know. I like when it's pop. I like when these genres become pop. Like this record reminds me of like a lot of '90s down tempo electronic music. Really, mm. it's like this like it's disco, I guess, but in the most like sort of low key and relaxed yeah, and in the background kind of sense. And I find that to be. I don't know. It's 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 enjoyable. Yeah, and I liked I liked the Bieber version of it. I just tend to think you know it's like reminds me of like listening to Sailing by Christopher Cross or something. I don't know. It just has that sort of like it's mellow. I like it. Well, let's hear Passion Fruit for a second. Listen, seeing you got ritualistic cleansing my soul of addiction for now because I'm falling apart. So yeah, very. I mean, essentially two different artists, really. I mean, you know what I mean. The, 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 he can, Drake contains multitudes. I think you were about to protest in some way about about Drake. Will well, I I mean, I the best production that is being done in hip hop and in music in general on this album, like this guy, the entire renaissance of Canadian producers, you can mm. credit to Drake. Um, and it's not just like Noah should be, but it's like Boy Wonder on this, Frank Dukes, and the he just gets these great sounds I'd actually just like, kind of like less Drake because it doesn't it's not like he's bringing that much to the table lyrically either hmm. um, in my mind it's uh, you know he's Drake has problems with his fame and, no I know he's got I, I don't want to hate you know but he's you know uh, uh, dude's doing okay in a lot of ways and <laughs> you know I know it's it's tough when you're you know when so you're is on it, top is and, it the the typical Drake complaint I've certainly made this myself is it uses the word solipsism a little bit uh, is little that bit. is that your problem with it well I don't know Father John Misty is pretty solipsistic too for sure mm. but it's just like he's he's bringing more ideas to the table but I still love listening to this record because the production is just absolutely so great and because he's bringing so much fresh talent to the table not just as producers but also as MCs, this whole school of, of British grime MCs, which I know not everybody around this table gets behind his, you know, boosterism of a of new styles. But I think that's another thing that shows how savvy he is and how he's always trying to stay not just on top, but like one step ahead. Yeah, and I'll yeah. say kind this of whole what thing about Kanye kind of like, used to do. Yeah, is it like you know we're talking about what makes this music 
potentially relevant. It's like just the kind of notion with like one dance in this record of just border crossing in general and having a casual yep. sense mm-hmm. of how the world ought to operate and letting people come and go. Like a Canadian. Is, is yeah, totally. It's like like Toronto, you know, whatever. It's like that's something that's there and that does have a political resonance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, great point. The back to the grime guys. One of the things that that's funny is watching certain young Drake fans react online to the to the grime guys. A lot of them hated that part of it. A lot of tweets being passed around, be like, "I like it until until whatever Skepta shows up." But I, I enjoy that aspect of Drake too. Expe- yeah. Especially with that, I think he's gotten a lot better at giving due to artists. Yeah, um, on this record especially. On this record especially, he's gotten a lot better at making sure that they have their moments to shine. I mean, Georgia Smith, she has an entire interlude for herself, and Skepta has a lot of great moments. And Samfa, Samfa, who, who yeah. made one of the best records yeah. of this year, too. Samfa has an entire track, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty yeah. much. Uh, Drake just lays back. Yeah, and so I, he's gotten a lot better at it. He used to be much more vampiric with it. Right. So. The other point about this record that I wanted you guys to address is is it too long? Because it is... Yes. Tw- <laughs> there we go. Debate it's 20... <laughs> Resolved. It, it, is, it is 22 songs long. It is an hour and 23 minutes or something like that. So, yeah. so yes. Yeah. biggest pet peeve. I feel like so many people have made these really long albums. This was my issue last year with Zane and then Bieber the year before and now Drake with More Life. These just these albums that go for 15 songs that really don't need to. Yeah. Or like 15 songs or more. And it's just so unnecessary. People to me. need to really take a hint from our friends in yeah. Nashville who make ten song records. Mm-hmm. Mm. Make them tight. Get in. Get out. And, uh, well. and it swallows the really great moments. To me, I'm, the more life does have a lot of really excellent moments. But I think that, and I understand it as the concept of a playlist and keeping it kind of longer. But Drake's albums have been so long lately. <laughs> I will well, say that you have like twenty-five yeah. talented guest stars, yeah, and you want to give them space. That's what happens. I will say the other day I was I was playing More Life at my desk at work, and uh, I got about six songs in. Then I went into a brief meeting in someone else's office, and I came back, put on my headphones, and it was still playing. And it's like, and you know, and I was like, oh, I missed part of it. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's the idea. Maybe it's like it really is a playlist. It's like you're, you you're not supposed to. Take it all I in at once. It's you background out music. Of it. I mean, ambient. Views, he was kind of like, "This is my totalizing achievement. You have to sit here for eighty minutes and drink me in." But this is not <laughs> like that at all. It's like, put it on, go away, make some food, wander around. It doesn't matter. It's like it's 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 background music. <laughs> it's, Drake's like, "I will be there when you come back." Yeah, look, yes. uh, he's aspiring to his own Sirius XM station. I think. And on that note, you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We're talking about the best albums of the year so far, and we'll be right back with a lot more. We're here today talking about the best albums of 2017 so far, and we'll continue our discussion. We talked about Father John Misty and Kendrick, and and now I think we'll talk about some some pop albums, Um, specifically one that came out like three hours ago, (laughs) Lord's Melodrama, which which we're all kind of still absorbing. I feel like, Brittany, I feel like you've managed to fully absorb it in this this short span of time. (laughs) I feel like I've been listening to it since (laughs) she dropped it at midnight. (laughs) I think that is probably literally true. There must have been some sleep in there, right? There's a little bit of sleep. It was plain still, but (laughs) (laughs) so what do you what do you love about this album? It, I mean, with a sophomore album, it's always so difficult, especially with someone who is so buzzy for their first album. And Lord really hit the perfect sweet spot of everything that we loved about Pure Heroin and everything that we wanted from a more adult mature album from some from a young pop star who's still growing and I, she's such an excellent writer and i think that pure heroine 
got kind of swallowed by the production. And I think that her writing didn't really, you know, it wasn't at the point that it is now. And I think she's really created this beautiful breakup concept album that is, it's perfect to me. I really love it. It's my favorite album this year so far. It's a, it's a great, great pop record. Yeah. I, I had a little bit more time with it than other people here because mm-hmm. I was writing about it. And, uh, you know, Joel Little's production on the first record, it was an entire electronic soundscape. And, you know, I think they, they, she was trying to figure out, like, mm-hmm. how do I exist in the realm of these popscapes but uh jack antonoff you know he came with guitars he came with pete drums she was playing piano and it's a little bit more of a classic kind of singer songwriter pianist album except with this fantastic production i mean i think it's another record like the drake that's kind of a tour de force Mm -hmm. of what you know really good human feeling pop production can uh can be like and um she's you know uh, she she reminds me of kate bush quite frankly i mean as Mm. much as any young artist you know now in terms of trying to really be out there as a as a as a as a kind of without trying to sound like kate bush you know everyone tries to sound like kate bush but Mm -hmm. she kind of embodies a kate bush ness it's a little different than sort of the sort of indie move of being like Kate Bush. But I think it's right. true. It's like the record sounds more modern, but it also sounds more classic. Like mm-hmm. there's, it's more piano intimacy. It's more late nights. It's more wee small hours. But it's also like, you know, more dance music and more currently with kind of the pop moment where the, her other records seem to kind of exist a little bit outside of it. Yeah. Well, let's hear Sober from the Lord Wrecker. Oh, God, I'm clean out of air in my lungs. It's all gone. Play it so nonchalant. It's time we dance with the truth. Move along with the truth. I also feel like she toned down some of her vocal eccentricities without erasing her character. And I, I know from uh, reading various profiles of her that, that she worked very hard with Antonoff about sort of the way she sang each line and mm-hmm. I bet that was part of the process is you don't want to become a caricature of yourself but on your second album I think she did a good job with that yeah. it's less mumbly for sure especially with an album that's called Melodrama to really deliver these kind of tragic sad pieces of a relationship she found a really good way of delivering them with such like a piercing sadness to mm. all, like every line I think think of songs like Writer in the, like, Writer, Writer in the Dark and um, Supercut have these really beautiful sort of Joni Mitchell-esque scenes that she paints and over kind of this Robin vibe of like sad dance music, just dancing (laughs) alone after a breakup. Yeah, but very modern. I mean, even even the term, even the title Supercut, you know, that as a metaphor, Mm -hmm. um, I thought was was pretty nicely done. But she's, there's a lot of, Antonov makes a lot of room for her voice and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of silence on this record and there's one, there's one I'm forgetting, oh, Homemade Dynamite is is a song that I like and there's this one point in the song where she just, the music drops out and she just leans into the microphone and goes, (laughs) Well, let's see your Homemade Dynamite, I think. Don't know you super well, but I think that you might be the same as me. Jimmy Fallon heard this song and was like, was like, she mentioned Top Gun, like Tom Cruise is going to be on my show wearing his Top Gun outfit while Lord sings this. It's like it's you know, and, he'll and be the jumping top, on the couch, yeah, jumping It'll on be the an couch. Amazing yeah. moment. I'm personally still absorbing it. I'm hesitant to express too much about it, but but it does strike me that both this album and some other albums, I'm thinking about Halsey. Sometimes 
the experience that I have as someone at Rolling Stone is the publicist might come in early and play like three songs from an album really early before um, maybe just before the single drops. And then those three songs are kind of the first thing you judge the album on, which is similar to the rest of the world. Like you hear the single and you judge it. And I think in both the cases of, of Lord and the Halsey record, which I like a lot too, those songs in isolation didn't do as much for me as hearing the album. And it, and it does suggest to me that we're in a moment of album pop, you know, which is interesting because, of course, pop is inherently a singles medium. But I, I think people are really thinking about albums again. I think it goes to an idea that we talked about in our, our sort of 2016 wrap up, which is streaming has helped revive the album. And so these people are thinking about albums. Pop music mm-hmm. is just at a peak of pretentiousness and that's not bad it's like it's just true though it's like these every record is it's like you know it's like the with the Halsey records opens up with like the uh, monologue from Romeo and Juliet and she changes it about her life it's like it's just this oh, it's is by Shakespeare though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, and Whoa, like it's, yeah. it's, it's just a uh, you know, I mean, we live in a time where like these artists have just huge ambitions, and because they're not really hemmed in by the by the radio and singles, and the same thing happened to R and B as well. It's like they've kind of taken R and B's lead a little bit with like the way that Beyonce and Rihanna and these people were making records that were just going to be you listen to the whole. Well, thing. Well, I think of and, those two artists as pop artists, frankly, but yes, you know, yeah, but, yeah, but you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it's true. But like you know, I think that, that that's just been the that's kind of been the moment of pop now is that it's 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 just, just it's taken over. Maybe I'd say mm-hmm. taken over maybe where rock used to be. Sure. Yeah, yeah. and I also. I feel like we're getting to the best possible product of nostalgia culture. And these are artists, like you mentioned Halsey and Lore, like they're all like 20, 21-ish. And these are artists who their entire teen years, they were writing songs in a time of very singles, heavy heavy music industry type of, these were art, artists were not, were not being cultivated to make full albums or we weren't expecting full albums. And they're going back even further. And there's a lot of like, early 2000s nostalgia, 90s nostalgia of what a full album can be and mean. And a lot of these artists are referencing like album-specific artists from, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and kind of going back to that to create their own music. Sure, with Fleetwood Mac or yeah. whether Kate Bush or Joni Mitchell. I mm-hmm. mean, I think that's become the kind of standard of, you know, once you've become a pop star and you've had the big singles, what do you do? What's your next artistic goal? Yeah. And it is to make you know, make this kind of larger statement. And I think maybe that's part of, you know, the the escapism too. It's like a song yeah. is three, four, five minutes long. And it's much easier to become a one-hit wonder right now because of, you know, streaming and because it's hard for albums to stick out the way they used to. Um, and I think a lot of these artists are on their second, third albums and they're trying to really find a way to make an impact. And they need to tour to make money now. Mm -hmm. And it's like you can't tour and play big places if people don't have a whole body of work they want to hear from you. A whole body and a connection to you. And a connection to you as an artist. I mean, let's hear Liability, which is such a a great raw uh, Lord song and and really struck me uh, when I I first heard it. Baby really hurt me, crying in the taxi. He don't want to know me, says he made the big mistake of dancing in my store. What I like about Lord and Halsey is how unabashedly brainy they both are. Mm-hmm. They're and 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 the culture is allowing them to embrace that, and their fans are embracing it. And it, it's such a long way from um, this sort of like Britney Christina era when, if anything, they were encouraged to hide whatever thoughts were in their head. I feel like, and we're, we're talking about them as pop artists, but they're also singer songwriters, and that's a whole different can of worms. Yeah, I think. All my favorite artists. And I think a lot of the best musicians right now are just huge nerds. I think even <laughs> you know, last year Beyonce and Solange are huge music nerds, and they totally. 
really care about music history. And I think, you know, people like Lord and Halsey and a lot of these artists coming up now and I mean Harry Styles too, like they're huge nerds for these like their histories and for music history and for pop culture and for what's going on in this moment and they want to capture that. Well, yeah, let's move on to Harry. And I, I kind of want to pair the Harry Styles album in our discussion with uh, a different kind of album that's actually very similar w- uh, by Lindsey Buckingham and, and Christine McVie. Of course, a Fleetwood Mac who made their first like sort of duets album. And th- there's a bunch of funny things about it. First of all, one thing that's really interesting is the Lindsey Buckingham, Christine McVie album actually has more adventurous production <laughs> than the Harry Styles album, which is more classic. Uh, and and it, we were saying in the break, like, what if Lindsey Buckingham produced a Harry Styles album? Dream world. <laughs> <laughs> Britney's very much on record on this show of, of loving the Harry Styles album. Yeah. I, I, re- I really like it as well. What, what do you guys think of it? I like it. I, I mean, it's they kind of signaled this. I mean, it's like... One Direction actually had a lot of 70s and 80s kind of soft rock things right. in them already. That song Fireproof was a Fleetwood Mac ripoff. It was basically just gypsy. Um, in this huh. case, he just goes back and like picks a genre, and he's got, we've got a Kiss one, we've got a Prince one, we've got a, you know, a, a Queen one, and, and they all work pretty well. I mean, he's, it's, 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 a, it, it's surprising, but you're right. It's like that kind of nostalgia. It's nostalgia for a past you never experienced is the sort of nostalgia of the, of the times, but he does a good job with it. I got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but maybe I'll maybe I'll come around. Does that mean you don't? No. Do, do you dislike it? If you dislike, I, that's, I, that's I haven't re- I haven't really spent time with it. I was not. I I'm still carrying a bias. Yeah, I mean, I will say also back to fan. the political thing. It's like yeah. you know we're all thinking about Watergate, and now we have all these records that sound like something you listen to during Watergate. It's like <laughs> it's like really it's, the, the resonance is there. You just gotta. <laughs> You right, and my, and, my, and my thing is, I'm just going to go back to records made in the 70s. <laughs> right. You so. can actually listen to Randy. But that's because I'm old. So. Everyone's trying so to make their Rumors breakup album, and I think that's sort of the escapist pop moment. I mean, the Lord album, like Harry Styles, Kalani, um, like Halsey's, like they're all these like. It is true. They're oh, never the like I'm in love. Mac, you know, yeah. it's never been more relevant. <laughs> now that we have a little bit of time has passed since it came out you, you really have to look at it and be like man what what a cool bold thing that he did he, mm-hmm. he made an album that has nothing to do with trends I, I, it was a huge risk and I think that it turned out really well for how much how anti this radio moment the entire album is I think that I mean Sign of the Times is still you know I was in a car for the first time in a while and all I heard on the radio it kept popping up and it's really incredible let's hear that Stop you crying, it's a sign of the times Welcome to the final show I hope you're wearing your best clothes I actually wonder whether people will look back and be like, wow, you know, <laughs> in a time, you know, in a time when people were feeling despairing, like weirdly, Harry, Harry Styles made like this pop single that that's uh, really kind of apocalyptic and and that really captured. Like, I wonder if they're going to be playing that song over the like the montage of all the the horrible shit that has we we don't know about that's going to happen the rest of this year. Hey, Future like, movie it's about like David Hasselhoff singing over the Berlin Wall falling. You know? Wow, that Harry is quite Styles, a the Hasselhoff of our that is quite a, no Hasselhoff's moment was in Guardians of the Ga- was actually in the Guardians of the Galaxy theme song. Hasselhoff did have a song this year. Anyway, I mean, so so what about the the Lindsey Buckingham and Christine McVie album? What do you guys think of it? I just think it's amazing that they're still playing out this drama in this band, <laughs> and it's fifty years of this band existing. It's like Stevie didn't want to be on this record apparently because she's just you know didn't want to spend a ton of time on a record, and they are really pretty mad. 
and it comes out in these songs. It's like a tough sounding kind of uh, hard, relatively hard edged Fleetwood Mac record with this huge absence, and they still make that absence a character on the record. I, I, you gotta like it. It's, it's you know. Know, There's Christine, another chapter in the crazy story. Yeah, Christine McVie is like, I came back from retirement yeah, right. for you guys. <laughs> now I'm here, and you're you're pulling diva moves. She chooses Lana Del Rey. <laughs> since yeah, she's since singing Stevie with Harry Styles. Meanwhile, like, yeah. yeah. Rich Stevie has joined Harry Styles instead. <laughs> it's, it's strange, though, because essentially he's taken the production of Tango in the Night, sort of 80s Fleetwood Mac, and, and moved on from there, both actually in his solo records, which are sort of under-listened to. But he's not, even as a Harry Styles, and I, I touched on this before, even as a Harry Styles is trying to do sort of largely, but not exclusively, sort of 70s classic stuff, that's not what uh, Lindsey Buckingham did, wants to do, or what Haim, whose full album hasn't come out yet, they're more interested in, in Tango in the Night and and everywhere further that stuff yeah, yeah. They sound like the, those keyboard sounds those vocal sounds like and he just likes to take that and make it more demented every <laughs> it's just it's every time he does it what's your the, the opening track sleeping around the corner wake me up when my papers are in order Lord, I don't want bring you down no, I mean it, it's in no danger of being mistaken for Migos or anything, but it is kind of progressive and, and, and mm-hmm. modern-ish, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the entire album sounds so fresh. Christine is incredible on it. Feel About You is definitely one of the best pop songs of this year. I mean, Chris, Christine McVie is still one of the best pop writers to have ever done Totally, it. totally. Yep. So it's great to have her back. I think just listening totally. to the album and getting this new material, getting this sort of... the Lindsay and Christine harmonies are always one of the shining moments and most underrated parts of Fleetwood Mac. I think that the drama obviously like, you know, is a big part and the anger has really propelled some of the best music that we've got. And, but the Christine and Lindsay harmonies is really what makes Fleetwood Mac sound. So makes the Fleetwood Mac sound. Yeah. That little bit right there. I mean, it's just, it's still totally there. Yeah. I want to talk about dirty projectors. Will, I think you're our biggest proponent of the dirty projectors album. So tell us what you like about it. Yes. I'm a big, uh, Dave Longstreth fan. And, uh, he, uh, took some time off from the group basically uh, to repair himself after a breakup. Um, the group is just him at this point. It used to be a number of um, a number of vocalists and uh, and he was doing them um, he was doing a lot of a lot of pop work. He was uh, he was working with um, he worked with Kanye and Rihanna and uh, Paul McCartney for four or five seconds. He was, you know, just doing um doing stuff that was like outside of the indie rock realm. And this record is basically him kind of engaging with a lot of uh, pop strategies and pop tropes, but uh, but getting uh, getting weird ass with them and arty with them and we, we funny were, with them. We too. were talking about this sort of opening moments of the album, and let, let's hear the, the very close to the beginning of the album, uh, Keep Your Name, when he confronts us with some unusual vocal strategies. <laughs> let's, let's, let's hear that. I don't know why you abandoned me. <laughs> you were my soul and my partner. <laughs> so I'll be doing that at karaoke tonight. <laughs> Everyone will. 
<laughs> but the, the, what, what you can't see on the radio is uh, is uh, Brittany's face. Is that was playing? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I've never listened to the radio projectors before, unless it's like I just. It doesn't always sound like that. My, yeah, I that, was, was that was not, an experience. Not a point. <laughs> it's not. I'm not going to explore their catalog right now. I will say, you know. In that it is his return to indie, such as indie is at the moment, he does indulge in the classic indie thing of putting one of the most sort of um, confrontational audio moments at the very beginning of the album. It's like a lot of, I just think of a classic example is the Clap Your Hands Say Yeah album is a good example. And there's a Bright Eyes album that does the same thing where you listen to the first track and you're like, what is this? And then, it, but it's all just to make them seem more indie when the rest of the album is actually super accessible he's a smart ass i mean i right. think that's what it comes down to is that there's a lot of stuff that's done on this album that's kind of like an inside joke like oh yeah well you know like i, I like these pop tropes but maybe they don't seem cool but i'll use them and do some weird stuff like he uses a sample of uh, the first time ever i saw your face it's mm. like fantastic beautiful Roberta Flack song, but he uses, he samples the original folk version by Peggy Seeger and then speeds <laughs> it up so she sounds like a Bollywood singer. And if you're if you're a geek and you can like yeah. listen to that and you sort of laugh, but then it also works in the same way that Kanye's sped up, you know, um, soul singers work. So it's, right. it's, it's kind it's, of meta. It's definitely an album worth hearing, and I think it's fascinating. I, it's just, we played that track just to illustrate what it confronts <laughs> you with at the very beginning. Uh, th- and then I wanted to talk about this really brilliant Valerie June album, uh, The Order of Time. Valerie June, um, sort of a, a, a gospel-raised singer-songwriter Americana thing that Bob Dylan loves. And it's just, weirdly, what it reminds me of is uh, Chris Whitley in some weird way. It's kind of hitting that, like, that unearthly Americana note that I that I really missed. They both have the, those yeah. very haunted blues That's vocals. Yeah. Okay. And, great. I'm not insane. Good. Okay. No. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful record. It took a while, but it really, really has grown into one of my favorite records of the year. In our very few remaining moments, I just wanted to ask everyone what what are your kind of personal oddball picks or just personal picks that might not appear on our list or might not be in the top of the list that that you personally really love this year? What do, what do you think, Brené? Um, well, I have three albums that I've returned to a lot throughout the year. Um, Blondie's Pollinator is a really excellent album. Mm. Uh, really great features from a lot of younger artists. We have Dev Hines and Charlie XCX. And Charlie XCX released a really great mixtape called Number One Angel. Super weird. Really Slept on. Really slept on. Really, really slept mm. on. Every song is incredibly catchy, and I wish that they were big radio hits. And the Incubus album, Eight, is another favorite of mine with an excellent song called State of the Arts, executive produced by Skrillex. And I'm still <laughs> half convinced that Britney is messing with us and there's no such album. It's but uh, really but we, we can all Google it and find out. It's really great. Thanks, Britney. And, and Will, how about you? Um, I'll just re- three names real fast. Um, Joan Shelley is a Kentucky singer who's got one of the most beautiful voices in pop, kind of like an Americana folky thing produced by Jeff Tweedy of Wilco. Um, the new Spoon record. Yeah, great that's a good one. Austin indie rock band that uh, is still sounds as great as ever. Um, and uh, I. Um, I, I I think I will be echoed by John Dolan on uh, the Jay Sohm record, yeah. which is fantastic. And Amy Mann made a really good record this year, too. She yeah. made a great comeback. The Joan Shelley record is like Nick Drake was from Kentucky or something. It's really right. beautiful. That's and a the, good J- the Jay Sohm record is like, it's like 
if Liz Fair and Brian Eno were the same person. It's like this lo-fi <laughs> record that's like in love with sound, which is such an interesting idea. It's like it, it, she does so many different things, but it's still lo-fi. The, I would pick the Jason for sure for me, and the, the the record two kind of early '90s indie records. One is the Girl Pool album, Power Plant, which is just really funny, caustic, smart, intimate songs with a lot of great kind of Smiths jangly guitar, and and they've upped the guitar a little bit more from their last record, which was more muted. Um, and uh, the other one is uh, this band, uh, Charlie Bliss. The record it, is called Guppy. Cool. And we will definitely look for that. And I'll throw in, uh, check out the Dedena album. I really like that one. And and I just personally will ride hard for the uh, Steve Van Zandt album. Yeah. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. That's the best albums of 2017. We'll be back next week at 1 p.m. on volume. And in the meantime, download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast on iTunes or wherever you get them. And we will see you next week. 